Before we get to our guest, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important to me, which is privacy. Moving money around, moving information, sending messages in today's world with Web 3.0 coming down the pike, privacy is very critical, especially to a journalist like myself. Utopia P2P is a complete privacy ecosystem. It's a 360 degree approach to privacy. It includes everything you need to move information or value around the world. It includes a encrypted messenger service, an email platform, and cryptocurrency payment system. It's fully decentralized, so it's not on any main server. It's based on blockchain, so it's distributed. It has an unmatched level of security. It has a feature-rich toolkit on the system uh, that supports 28 languages. There's a very low barrier to entry, and it also supports Bitcoin and also their coin internally. So if you're looking for a way to move information and money around the world where you don't want prying eyes uh, looking at what you're doing, go to Utopia P2P and have complete privacy on their system. And now let's get to our guest. So welcome to American Conversations. Today we have uh, El Todd Wood, who is our colleague who just returned from Ukraine, and uh, Jamie Williamson, who's a retired Special Forces Colonel. Jamie, welcome to the show. Todd, welcome back to America. Thanks, Christine. Uh, let's guys, Thank let's you. begin with, with, with all of the, uh, flattening of the cities in Russia to overnight. Um, it, I mean, it looks like, you know, old pictures from world war two in some major European cities. Um, Todd, you want to start with, you know, what, what you saw and how this has developed. And then Jamie, you want to jump in on that afterwards? Yeah. So, uh, the initial impression I had was that Russia was using uh, small unit tactics at the expense of even getting some of their people killed and not really uh, doing using their overwhelming air power and other missile assets in order to most likely not kill civilians. But something changed. And I don't know if that is because, um, you know, Putin, I, as I said in the beginning, I don't think he has the force structure to completely control Ukraine, at least for not very long. And so he's having to use other people like uh, Belarusian troops possibly, or, and he's sent in Chechens, he asked Kazakhstan for troops, they were declined. So I don't know if it's these other forces who are being undisciplined and launching broad rack attacks on, on uh, apartment buildings. Uh, I do know that they also changed tactics to go directly after uh, intel and government centers uh, in buildings. And obviously there's gonna be collateral damage when you have a missile attack, a guided missile attack against something like that. So I don't know what changed, but uh, and I haven't been following the news closely, but it is obvious someone is bombing the, some civilian targets uh, indiscriminately. Uh, what do you think, Jamie? Well, I think that going back to the buildup, I think that uh, Putin had a set of escalating intentions based on the reaction or lack thereof uh, from the West, particularly from the United States. Uh, and I think the weak leadership has further emboldened him. You don't surround a country on three sides with over 200,000 troops to take back or to, to seize three disputed provinces on the East. So I think that if the aggression would have been met forcefully with opposition from the West at the initial stages, I don't think we'd be where we're at today. I think uh, that was a probing. I think 
uh, he's going to see how much he can get away with. And right now he's getting away with a lot. And uh, I don't know what the change was um, that precipitated the indiscriminate bombings. The first thing we saw was a deliberate uh, armor vehicle swerve and ran over a car, which was horrifying. Miraculously, the guy survived. Um, but the war crimes, and that is absolutely a war crime at the lowest level by individual initiative. But ultimately, Putin is responsible and he'll be held responsible. Whether he's ever brought to accountability, who knows? But he's perpetrated an unprovoked attack on a peaceful, sovereign nation, and nobody stood up to him with any meaningful. I, I can't help but compare this to Chamberlain back in the late 1930s. Well, we'll just take, let him take the Sudetenland. Well, we'll just, he's annexed Austria. Well, well, you know, he went into Poland, but, you know, where, where does it end? It ends with loss of millions of lives when it should have been stopped from the beginning. Um, I'm not advocating sending U.S. troops to the Ukraine. Uh, I'm not even advocating a no-fly zone. But we really have to have a world leader. Historically, it's been the United States. I don't care who it is now. Somebody needs to step up and take charge and organize these countries with a meaningful and forceful response that seriously does damage. You can say, well, on one hand, we're sanctioning, uh, we, you know, we take them out of the SWIFT, we've sanctioned some banks, but yet we're still buying oil from the Russians. We're still buying oil from the Iranians. What kind of message does that send? And with that money, we're furthering, enabling him to continue his genocide on a sovereign nation. Did you guys see the, the report that came out overnight about how um, the, the Biden administration officials have been meeting with some Russian officials about the Iranian deal. I thought that was another yeah. element of this that was kind of surprising because if we're still buying, buying oil and if we're negotiating with Putin, you know, the conversation expands a little bit more than Ukraine. And, and let me take a stab at that. Um, you know, we reported in 2018 or I guess before that, maybe a year before that, that we had evidence that Putin, Biden and his son, Hunter, were meeting with Gazprom Russian officials during the Crimea annexation. So these people have been siphoning off money uh, from the energy business and, and laundering money through Ukraine for some time. I actually think they want some kind of conflict for regime change in Russia, and but they want to keep the graft going. So, you know, this is the agenda that's overlaying all of this. Uh, and that may be why the oil is still flowing, while some oligarchs are still going to get paid. Um, you know, it's it's who you know. And they still want to make the money and they want to get rid of Putin. Um, but my concern is that this will, if they continue pushing down that path, that this will, uh, you know, escalate into something much more dangerous for the world. We need cooler heads to prevail. There's definitely that because there is just a continued escalation on the ground. And, and uh, you know, th this is, it's almost as if he wants to just flatten everything so everybody will leave. 
Well, a lot are leaving already uh, before we've gotten to that total stage. And I think that's part of the plan also is to create additional burden <clears throat> with refugees on both Poland and Romania. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, the <clears throat> excuse me, the financial burden that goes along with that, as well as the logistical burden uh, and the demoralization of people <clears throat> fleeing what could be perceived as a conquered or soon to be conquered country. I think we're far from that stage. I really do. I think he's tremendously underestimated the Ukrainians who have fiercely defended their homeland and fought the Nazis and fought the Russians uh, over the past 80 years. And I think this will become yet another Afghanistan for the Russians. They can occupy but they can't conquer. Um, and all, a lot of this placing strategic nuclear forces on alert, it's saber rattling. Uh, I'm not saying it's not dangerous. It is. It's bringing us closer to the precipice, but nothing really changed other than they're on alert, okay? Uh, they're still there. They always have been there as much as our nuclear forces our bombers and our strategic missiles and our submarines, they're always there. We can elevate them to a higher state of alert, but it's kind of meaningless until they start sliding lids off of the missile silos. Then, you know, then there's a change. But for him to say right now, <clears throat> I don't see that uh, as, as being escalation because it's more of a, a pro forma type thing than any real substance. I will say, though, that historically for Russia, much like we have the three branches of government, there has been the Politburo, the KGB, and the Red Army. And now we still have a different form of that. Uh, and perhaps the additional factor of the oligarchs, money makes the world go round. And uh, nuclear war is bad for everyone. And I don't think that the Russians, the Russian people are not behind this. Their sons are coming back in body bags, if they're coming back at all. Right. Uh, the generals know in their hearts what they're prepared for it. The, I won't say that the Russian army is a paper tiger, but it's not the same Russian army that I faced as a young lieutenant on the German border in the 1980s Cold War. It's not. Uh, and we've seen it now. Also, Putin has been willing to, I think, squander his troops, where we tend to sell our soldiers' lives very dearly. Uh, you know, it's it's evident that these soldiers who I, I kind of feel sorry for in, in many ways. I want to kill as many of them as we can, yet at the same time, I have compassion for these young conscripts that are used as pawns. They don't have the moral high ground. They don't have the, uh, the motivation or the ideological fight in them for this cause. Um, and that's a huge factor. It's not measurable, but the morale of, of and the resistance of the Ukrainian people is another huge intangible factor. The fact that these young Russian kids are scared, that they haven't been 
hold the troop by their commanders. Uh, there have been rumors, unconfirmed rumors, of mutiny or passive resistance at the very least. Um, they don't want a part of this. Let me ask you guys a question, okay? Because this is something that some civilians here in America are asking me, and, and I don't have an answer to it. But I mean, when do you send people into battle not knowing that they're going to fight without enough food or fuel? We wouldn't do that. Um, you know, Unless you're desperate. Yeah. So you can have the greatest plan in the world, but if you can't support it logistically, it's not a valid plan. Um, you know, we, we look at this convoy that's, that's sitting on the road 40 miles long. It's not because of indecision. Uh, you know, eventually tanks become pillboxes when they run out of fuel. Right. And then eventually they run out of food and water and ammunition. And I suspect that they've certainly run out of patience by now, if not sooner. Uh, and poor morale in soldiers is never a good thing in peacetime or in wartime. Uh, and uh, they're vulnerable. There are, you know, I, I think what a lucrative, target-rich environment if, if the West had the capability, well, we have the capability, but if we had given that capability to the Ukrainians in advance in terms of lethal drones, attack helicopters, something to interdict those columns. And, and rather than take the, the heavy armor vehicles and the tanks head on, they need to go for the vulnerable supply lines and cut off their lines of communication. And it does not necessarily have to be a force on force set piece battle to do that. It can be done through guerrilla warfare, uh, unconventional warfare. There are natural choke points along that route. Uh, so you, you find a defile where, say you have a, a mountain on one side and then a, a river on the other, uh, and you've got vehicles lined up on a one-lane or two-lane road, you hit the lead of the column, you hit the trail of the column, and then everything in the middle becomes even more vulnerable to ground attack. And, you know, I don't know, I haven't seen, you know, high-resolution satellite images, but for the most part, these aren't all tanks and combat vehicles. They're support vehicles. Beans and bullets is, you know, that we, we call it the fuel, the sustenance of war that sustains those soldiers in the field. And they can't fight without it. Um, and, and without those beans and bullets uh, and the water and the fuel, they become demoralized. Uh, that's a dangerous position. And especially if they start resisting their leaders, uh, it puts them personally in a precarious position, but the tactical problems transcend to the strategic initiative. And they, once they lose that initiative, they've already made a mistake by not sealing off the West because the land, the land locks or lines of communication are still open. We can't fly equipment in, well, overtly, um, but, uh, the ground lines of communication are open. There are still, 
map of the Earth helicopter flights going in and out of Western Ukraine. Um, so a lot of the strategic plan that Putin has laid doesn't entirely make sense to me. I understand the incremental ramping up, but uh, tactically, I think it was a poorly planned venture. He's lost the uh, initiative. I don't think he expected the resistance. I think he thought that Zelensky was going to pull a Ghani and rob the bank and, and head to the West. And that didn't happen. Uh, and now Zelensky, I pray he survives this with his family, but he will become the lion of the Panshear, the Winston Churchill, uh, you know, uh, the Abraham Lincoln uh, of, of the Ukraine. And uh, again, that has just galvanized the will of, of the uh, Ukrainian people, which are extremely resilient. And, uh, to, you know, to see, uh, to see women, uh, elderly men, elderly women picking up rifles, I, I, could only, uh, I could only hope that an attacking enemy would meet the same amount of resistance here in the United States. Um, I mean, I'm, as a retired soldier, it does my heart good to see that population rallying around the flag and around the true leader. And uh, Zelensky has shown a bright shining star of freedom against, uh, you know, the Russian bear of oppression. And I wish him well. But uh, if this devolves into urban warfare, as it has already, mm -hmm. uh, combat in the cities sucks up resources like a sponge. Uh, it's extremely costly in terms of logistics, in terms of lives. Uh, you know, when you have the entire population mobilized against an invading army, it could be the death of a thousand cuts. Um, we, we've already seen individuals standing strong in front of tanks. We've seen the Molotov cocktails. Uh, I certainly hope that the intelligence community has had the leash taken off and are doing things that are not made privy to the public, nor should they be. I hope that we're sending explosively formed projectiles, much like the Iranians did against us. Uh, I hope that we're giving them as much lethal aid as we possibly can. Do you guys think the rumors of uh, taking Kiev and and Putin possibly, you know, calling for martial law? Do, I mean, is that is, does that even make sense to you from a military point of view? I mean, that's almost saying you, you mean know, in Russia? Yeah, no, in in Ukraine, he's taught these. They're talking now. There's rumors that that as they as Putin takes over Kiev, which he hasn't done completely, he's bombed the hell out of it. But that he will be calling for martial law, and that they in fact can uh, they can still call themselves Ukrainian, but they're going to be underneath Putin. I mean, does that make sense to anybody? They're under martial law already, um, but yeah, I don't know, know what that means. Again, but... in name only, you, you can declare a no-fly zone. Enforcing it is an entirely different matter. You can 
declare the country conquered and you can fly your the Russian flag over the capital, but you until you until an enemy admits that they have been defeated, they're not defeated. Okay. And they may take a beating, but I personally don't think that the Russians can can sustain that and then occupy there will be there will be Russian soldiers dying by the dozens by ones or twos or threes at a time, there will be such opposition at home in Russia uh, that it will become untenable. And I think, like anything, you follow the money. And when the money is cut off, when, when cryptocurrency is interdicted, when the overt banking uh, and the, the legal banking system is interrupted and the oligarchs are not making the money and they're having their yachts seized and their children expelled from Oxford and Georgetown and BU and wherever that they may go in the world, um, that's going to cause problems. And, uh, and Mr. Putin is going to be in a very precarious position in spite of all of his bodyguards. He can be, he still can be marginalized. It's not easy, but between the, the sentiments of the Russian population and more importantly, the FSB, formerly what was KGB, uh, <clears throat> and the Red Army, and their own Politburo and, and coupled with the oligarchs that have serious influence in politics and running the country, uh, this could this could take Russia to the breaking point of an internal collapse, uh, which that would be the best of all outcomes uh, in, in lieu of a military conflict. Ukraine. Uh, I see that we are already, I think we're already committing uh, economic warfare against Russia and probably cyber as well. Uh, I, I'm hearing that Putin will probably declare a state of emergency and uh, close the borders and uh, put his country on a war footing. I don't discount the nuclear threat as, as much as the colonel does. I think he's always said Remember, we have nuclear weapons. I think he's entirely capable of lobbing a low-yield nuke into Europe and, and destroying a military target. I don't think it would have, and, and So then what do we do? I don't trust this administration to handle what they're doing. I think they're trying to push for regime change. But if you get rid of Putin, what's next? Uh, um, so uh, I think the best solution is a negotiated settlement in Ukraine where the Russian troops leave and we rip out the Soros state capture, which has infected that country for a long time. And it allowed them to commit information operations against Trump, against the American people, and uh, and commit organized crime and money laundering in the hundreds of millions of dollars for uh, Soros, Clinton, Biden, all of them that they've moved offshore and, and gotten rich off of. So this is what I hope is some kind of negotiated settlement. I hope they don't um, push too hard. That's my concern. I, I agree with you, Todd, that, uh, you know, I, I don't trust this administration to handle things properly. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it's not just the United States that has nukes. 
Um, yeah. And I think if, if Putin is to launch a nuclear weapon, whether it's a strategic or tactical, that would be the end of Russia, as I, I think the rest of the Western world, regardless of the United States' uh, action or inaction, I think that, that Russia would be punished so heavily that they would cease to exist as the state that we know it today. Um, and I, I certainly hope that cooler heads in the Russian government would prevail and prevent that from stopping. But the problem is, is that Putin is suffering a severe loss of, of faith yes. right now. And mm -hmm. you have to moderate your responses because once he's backed into a corner, he's already made some moves out of desperation. Uh, there's been mm -hmm. a lot of speculation about his state of mind and his health. Um, you know, we, we, we've already seen, you know, over the years, we, you know, and our intelligence agencies build tremendous profiles on, on world leaders. But uh, everything I'm hearing there has been a departure from the norm in recent months. Um, and whatever is going on in his own head, in his own country, I think has further been emboldened by our lack of leadership on the world stage, by our shameful actions in Afghanistan, and uh, wishy-washy responses to his current progression. That, uh, and like you said, you know, what you get rid of Putin, but then what have you got? Much could be said, you get rid of Biden, then what have you got? Mm -hmm. The devil you know and the devil you don't know. Um, but I think I would have more faith in the oligarchs and their influence being driven totally by monetary means more so than ego or control factors. That I would agree with that. I do, too. I do, too. Gentlemen, on that note, thank you. We've got some serious conversations as we cover this story. And Jamie, please come back because your insights are so good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Christine. Take care.